Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. Can we thank the band for a wonderful job this morning? (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're starting a new series this morning. Um, It's going to be a one-week series, I've decided. Um, (laughs) So uh, hopefully those that aren't here today um, are are okay with that. They'll have to catch up, I guess. Um, We were going to do a two-week series in in Philemon, and then I just realized there's enough content for one. Uh, And you could break it apart more and more and more, but you guys would be like, hey, I come to, like, hear about God's word, be forgiven, uh, not by me, by God. Um, I I come here to, like, learn stuff, and you'd be like, are you giving me a theology degree if we did two two weeks? So, which isn't a bad thing. I think everybody should study more theology, but I'm going to give you as much of it as I can uh, within one week. And then next week, we're going to um, probably dive into something, uh, well, we are going to dive into something a little bit more encouraging. And by that, I just mean there are some tricky subjects that we're going to talk about once again in this uh, this service. And once again, if you haven't been with us for the last couple weeks, we've been talking about sexuality and uh, eros, uh, that type of love that uh, two lovers have for one another and with one another. And today... We are going to talk about some more, uh, some more interesting stuff, which is going to be good. And you might be like, what? Like, if you've read Philemon, you're like, what? Like, what are you about to talk about? Um, but it does, ha- it does talk a little bit about slavery. Of course, this past week, we had a, um, like, a really big thing happen in the States with uh, the overturning of Roe and Wade, uh, Roe versus Wade, and uh, Roe and Wade. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, but uh, we're going to jump into it a little bit because... Um, as one pastor said recently, they said, if you don't disciple your community, somebody else will. And I don't know what voices you're listening to, but we're not going to talk about that part of the service for sure. Um, there's somebody a little upset that we're going to do that. So we'll, we'll avoid that for today. Why don't we pray and then we'll jump into it. Jesus, thank you that we get to gather here this morning. Um, thank you, God, that you are present with us. And God, thank you that you want to move. God, in every... Um, in every book of the Bible, in every verse, in every, um, every letter that was penned, God, you, you meant it for our, um, you, you, you meant it for our betterment, but also our better understanding of who you are. And so, God, I pray that as we read this word today, as we read um, Paul's letter to Philemon, that, God, we would be impacted by it, that, God, there would be something in us that is stirred, and that we would understand the importance of forgiveness and all of these things. God, if we walked into here and we're, we've got a bunch of different things on our minds, God, I pray that, God, you would... Um, uh, that you would just quiet our souls so that we can hear you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay. Um, is everybody awake this morning? Okay. Uh, let's, let's just, you know, one, one thought that I had while we were worshiping is just like, let's not be the 9 a.m. crew that just like uses the first couple of uh, worship songs as like warm up or wake up time, you know? Like, let's come woken up, like, uh, if that's the right way to say it. Um, let's, let's, let's come ready for what God wants to say to us. And let's make sure that from that first song, if we could attend the 9 a.m. service, that we're ready to worship God right off that first note. Um, because God deserves our worship. And, and uh, yeah, some of us might need some coffee in, in us. Not calling it the Moore family at all, but I saw them walk in with some coffees today. But let's make sure we're, we're like, we're ready for this. And let's make sure that we're ready to lean into what God has to say. So again, let's not wait till I, I say something that, that piques your interest, but let's, let's dive into what God has to say. Okay, so we're going to jump into the book of Philemon. Anybody, uh, anybody, when you saw that we're jumping into the book of Philemon this past week, actually read the book of Philemon? Look at this. Shelby, you get a star when you leave. Uh, <laughs> we don't do that here. Um, but good for you. It's good to read, like, if we're in a series on Matthew, let's read the book of Matthew. If we're going into a book, uh, the, the book of Philemon, let's read the book of Philemon. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through an entire book of the Bible. And for some of you, this might be the only book of the Bible you've read all year, so I'm helping you with your Bible and your plan. 
Uh, don't leave it here. Pick it back up when we leave this place. It's a really short book. It only has 25 verses, but I want to read it out, and then I want to uh, discuss what's actually happening here. So this is uh, Philemon. It was written to a guy named Philemon by a guy named Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He uh, was responsible for the expansion of the church, a large expansion of the church uh, in, in the early years of, of Jesus, um, of, of the, the church of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to Philemon about one of Philemon's uh, servants, one of his slaves. And he's basically um, tr- going to try to convince Philemon to free his slave. That's kind of what's going on here, okay? So here we go. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. And I kind of like this because the rest of the content of the letter, um, Paul's kind of implicating Timothy. He's like, you know what? If you don't like what I'm saying, there's also... Uh, does this just keep going in and out behind me? Maybe we just like, is there a way to like unplug it and just like not have anything? Um, it's going to be a little, that is, that's freaking out, eh? Okay. Let's read this. So he's implicating Timothy in this. And he says, to Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So you might be wondering, who are these people? Theologians believe this is um, directed towards Philemon, and then likely his wife and their son. He says this, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And I love this verse, and I I love this part of of Paul's letter to Philemon, because he's saying, listen, by actually sharing our faith, that's how we come into a greater understanding of our faith. For some of us, we won't share our faith because we think like, well, if I just had a greater understanding of what's actually happening, then I'd be able to share it. But it's actually in the sharing of your faith that you learn more about your faith, because in sharing your faith, it will be questioned, and you'll actually have to go away and think about what's been questioned come back and actually have a greater understanding of your faith. So he's like, listen, if you want to have a good understanding or an understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, begin sharing your faith. Your love has been given to me, uh, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul's writing this from prison. Keep this in mind. Therefore, although in Christ I could not, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Which is interesting because Onesimus is Philemon's slave. He's saying previously, when he was your slave, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and what's happened said, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. Paul's communicating the, the connection he has with Onesimus, this, this, this slave that has run away from Philemon. Um, I would like to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I, while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than that, better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is a very dear, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this to you with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Uh, He's kind of twisting his arm a little bit there. He's like, not to mention you owe me yourself, your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I uh, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, I butchered that, sorry, Damas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Man, there's a lot going on in here, isn't there? 
And uh, I have a lot of questions about what's going on. I have a lot of questions about like, hey, why would Paul, um, he says, listen, I could, I could tell you what you ought to do, but rather than telling you what, you what you ought to do, I'd rather appeal to your heart is what Paul's saying. And that gives me some level of question because it makes me ask the question like, oh man, like does this mean like the Bible or the early church, do they support slavery? Like what's going on here? One of the things to just keep in mind is that there's a lot going on in the church at the time. And I've had a lot of different people um, come to our church and have a lot of different problems with us because, um, you know, it's, it's uh, like the, the, the one famous rapper once said, he said, a uh, little bit of money, a little bit of problem, more money, more problems, right? And the thing is, is that you got more people, you've got more problems. It's literally just a, a thing of statistics, that if you have more people, you're going to have more problems in your church. And the thing is, is when people come in, I think both people outside the church and then inside the church, we have this propensity to believe that the church ought to be perfect. Now, here's the thing. The church is perfect. The church is blameless, but it's blameless in its stature before God, not in its actual way in which it lives in the world that we live in. And so the world expects it to be perfect, but the the hope for the world is that actually the church isn't perfect. We're made perfect by Jesus Christ. Our standing before God is in perfection because of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you can come be a part of the church. But one thing that really frustrates me and grinds my gears as a pastor, and I have so much paper on here, and I was going to leave it alone, but I just can't leave it alone because there's just too much going on here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss this over here. But the one thing that really grinds my gears as a pastor sometimes is that people will come in and expect the church to be like spotless and blameless the way that it will be in the new heavens and the new earth. And I just go like, you, like here's the thing. There are so many people in our church that would not last in in one of Paul's churches that he planted himself because of the stuff that was going on in the early church. Like, let's just consider that even people uh, like like the church in Corinth or um, the church in Ephesus, like what what Paul's trying to correct in a lot of these churches is like, hey, stop sleeping with your your parents. Um, Hey, stop sleeping with one another. Hey, stop stealing. Hey, stop like, like, like doing all of these things. And I think like for us, Oftentimes it'll be like, hey, that person over there, they're like, they're like going to watch movies that they're not supposed to watch. And like, I don't know if I can be at a church that, that goes and sees rated R movies. And I'm like, if you can't handle stuff like that, you're not going to be able to handle the church that Paul planted. In fact, what you're saying is you're saying, hey, Paul needs to have a greater handle on what's happening in his church there before I even step foot into that church. What we see in, in Paul's letters to even Philemon is he's going, listen, you've got this slavery thing going on and we need to deal with this. And what he's saying, like, so a little bit bigger problems happening in the ancient Near East. So a little bit of context. Philemon is a leader in the church. Um, when Paul came to Colossae, um, he established a church that, uh, that he writes to in the book of um, Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, he's writing about all these different things. Philemon would have came to know Jesus during Paul's missionary trip to Colossae. And on that missionary trip, uh, Paul would have set up a leader in the church in Colossae, and Philemon would have come in to be one of the leaders within that church. And so what we have is Paul's not just writing to anybody in the church in Colossae, but he's actually writing to Philemon. And Philemon is a leader that has people inside his home and is teaching them the gospel and is teaching them based on what he's learned himself, all about what he knows about Jesus Christ and what he's learned from Paul and what he's learning from that community and what he's learning from the apostles during this time. And so Paul is trying to bring Philemon along in his own discipleship journey. What we see is that Paul actually takes the long way around. So I want to start backwards and then we're going to walk through some of the problems that we see actually within the book of Philemon. So the first thing that I want to speak about is this, is that Paul is actually urging us as a church here in 2022 through the book of Philemon to love one another as Christ loves us. Okay, so it's, it's really important to grasp that he's not just writing to Philemon, he's writing to everybody who will read this letter. And the reason is, is because he's actually demonstrating Christ's love for Onesimus and for Philemon in the way that he's writing to um, Philemon. During this time, uh, the Roman Empire, the economy actually ran off of slavery. That, that's, how, like, that's how most ancient empires ran their economies. And the Roman Empire was believed to have uh, about 60 million slaves um, during this time that worked for the Roman Empire, but also people within the Roman Empire. And it was completely okay within that cultural standard to own slaves. And so they'd have these slaves, and they'd have um, people working for them and everything else. And one of the things that the Roman Empire was getting really afraid of 
is that these 60 million slaves would eventually rise up and revolt against the Roman Empire and overthrow the Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire said, okay, well, that seems to be a problem for us. And so rather than um, deal with that problem and think up a different way to uh, hold their economy, what they decided was that they would scare the slaves into staying with their masters and gave their masters the freedom to kill any slave that actually ran away. Now, I don't know if I'll get a chance to say this later, but it's worth saying this, is that the church was planted in a context that it could not reverse every single thing that was going on in, a, in an instance. Like, like the gospel, as it reaches somebody, has to sink deeper in, as they go through their sanctification process. And as they go through that sanctification process, what we see is that as a do, the gospel touches more and more places of a person's being, that they actually will see more regeneration in their soul. They'll actually see more changes happen within. And so the early church is trying to change all of this. But what we see actually in history, and I mean, we could debate church and state all we want, but the first Christian state, the first Christian nation that ever came to be, which is in 300 AD, we see in the Roman Empire that, um, that through um, Emperor Constantine, we actually see the, the, um, uh, the, the, the reversal of this law about slaves obeying their masters and everything else. We actually see that taken off the books as Constantine himself becomes a Christian. And so what we see is like it takes a lot of time to get to that place, but once, once it actually, once the heart of Christ impacts a nation, we see that some of the most dis dysfunctional and disgraceful things that are happening within a nation start to flow away because those in power start making decisions not based on what the world wants, but actually based on what God wants. And so what we see is Paul's dealing with this dilemma before the state actually changes their mind on this thing. And so what we see here is Philemon is is uh, Paul's talking to Philemon, and he's saying, listen, I know it's within your rights to kill Onesimus, but I'm asking you not to. And that's actually quite impactful because he had every right to. Under the Roman law, he had every right to do this. In fact, Paul's not assuming that just because Philemon has come to know Jesus, that that part of, Je that that part of who he is and what he's doing has actually been touched by Jesus. And so he's saying, listen, I could tell you not to do this, but I'm going to appeal to your heart based on what you know of Jesus that you wouldn't do this. But what we actually see out of Paul is that he says this. He says, so if you consider me a partner, it's like, hey, if you actually think that you're working with God in this, if you actually think that you're working um, to, to see all that, that, that um, Jesus is trying to do on the earth and you're trying to be a, a conduit of that in the earth. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a, in a house where my mom, um, I admitted that I had OCD. And so uh, when I grew up, and, and I've, I've shared that with our church, and OCD is like a real... Um, uh, uh, like mental health diagnosis, like it's a very real thing. So when people just say like I'm so o OCD, um, they're not really um, don't really know what they're talking about because OCD is pretty um, pretty extreme. Um, but I probably got some of the the ticks and the habits that my OCD attached to because of my mom. And uh, one of the things my mom would do is that when people would show up, she would have us like um, vacuum the carpet so that it had all those carpet lines. Um, this is be before hardwood floors, right? So our whole house is carpet. And she's like, you know, you had to go around the edge, around the border, and then you had to, like, basically, like, cut the lawn in, the, in your living room uh, on a diagonal, and then you had to go reestablish the borders, and then you had to make sure that as you walked out of the room that there's no footprints in the, in the room. And then my mom's going to be watching this, so, Mom, you're, you're great, and I love you, but this was nuts. And I remember, um, I remember, like, as a kid, I would be like arguing with my mom and I'm like, mom, you're only doing this because people are coming around. And she's like, of course I'm only doing this because people are coming around. And I wouldn't learn the lesson until I was much older that this is exactly how I would be. It's like, clean up the house quick. Like, where do we throw this stuff? Like anywhere where guests won't open the door, you know, just like throw it in there. And uh, I just remember being like, you know, like we should be our authentic selves and like just invite people into our house. And like, just like so um, ridiculous. I can't imagine getting to the stage where teenagers like just think they know better than parents. But I'm going to get there soon enough and eat all of my words as a teenager. But so all of this would happen. And, and, and like there's a preparation when we have guests. Like for those of us that don't prepare for when guests are coming, they're probably really close friends or that's the last time like those guests want to come to your house. Like people don't want to sit in your mess or like 
get your long hairs tangled in between their toes while they're walking across their carpet. Like, that's just like, that's not a great experience for somebody. Um, you know, when Nate had this big dog, it was slobbering all over the place. I was just like, Nate, until that dog dies, like, we're not going to be hanging out at your house, you know? And, and that's what happened. Like, his dog died, and I started hanging out with Nate again. And so, like, like this is, we've talked through this. This is a part of Nate's story and him being sanctified by Jesus Christ. So, um, the dog died, he became a part of the church again. So, this, this is, this is kind of standard. And so what Paul is saying to Philemon is he's saying like, hey, like welcome him as you would welcome me. Well, Paul is like the head of the church at this point. Like, like Paul, and you can make some theological arguments that Peter is based on what Jesus said, everything else. Yes. But Paul is establishing churches like, like we haven't seen before. And he's establishing these. He's a, he's a guest of high honor. And Philemon would have rolled out the red carpet for Paul as he came. And Paul's saying, listen, I know you have the right to kill this man. I'm asking you to roll out the red carpet for him. As you would welcome, uh, as you welcome him, welcome him as you would welcome me. And then he goes on to say this. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I, like, so that, so that Philemon, you know that I'm not talking about somebody else. It's not Timothy writing this on behalf of Paul, like trying to get himself out of this. Like, hey, Paul will pay the penalty for Onesimus, which is how we often want to, we want other people to pay what, 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 what we should be paying. He says, no, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then he goes, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Listen, what Paul's doing here, and this is one of the, the most beautiful books in the Bible for this for this reason, is Paul's saying to Philemon, he's saying, listen, based on the way that the world is set up, you have every right to put to death in, in our society, Onesimus. But what I want you to do is if you, if you think about doing that, I want that to be my punishment. What Paul's doing is he's putting his life on the line. I mean, I, I can just imagine, he wrote this in 60 AD. Paul would write many other letters to other churches post this time in the next 10 years in the next few years of his life before he was actually, um, actually killed. What we actually see is that he's saying, listen, I've not only um, heard the message of Jesus Christ, Philemon, but I want, to, I want to reveal to you what it looks like in action. Because death is owing to Onesimus, what I'm saying is, let him go and take me on. Let him go and I'll pay that penalty for us. And church, like, I think sometimes we can actually take for granted um, the message of Jesus Christ in our lives. Like it can be just su such a routine for us and it can just be something that we know kind of like up in our heads. It can become all academic for us or merely a habit. And so many of us that have decided to follow Jesus, it can become so many different things in our lives. But what Jesus must become for us is the reality in which he meant for us, which is not to just know something intellectually, but to actually allow it to sink down into our hearts. Like the heart of the gospel is not just our ability to communicate it to one another, but it's our ability to live it out in front of a world that does not understand sacrificial love. We just came through this series called The Four Loves, and the biggest one that we traced all throughout the series was this agape, this love that goes and, and is self-sacrificial and lays itself down for one another, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it, it's self-sacrificial in the way that it goes out, and it loves the people around us. And what Paul is demonstrating is not just a theological, like, leaning, but he's actually demonstrating a love, a practical love to Onesimus and saying, listen, I will love you in the way that Jesus has loved me. And the challenge for us here in the year 2022 is, are we loving the people around us in the way that Christ has loved us? You know, it's in John 13, 34 that he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That doesn't just mean like, hey, just like try to be, try to not be selfish, you know, but it's like this. It's like, hey, a penalty must be paid here. And if that penalty must be paid, I'll serve the penalty. That's what's actually going on in the, in, we'll just leave it alone just because it's distracting me. Um, but, but, but it's actually, and is there any way, I'm, I'm taking lots of breaks for the, this message. Can we unplug this TV as well? Because what you guys can't see is this TV is just having its own little rave party in front of me. And so like, I'm like, God, I'm about to talk about some like, uh, I, and, and I am. I'm talking about some, like, hefty things, and I'm just so distracted because it's, it's unplugged. We're good to go. Technology today is, uh, is really trying to get in the way of the gospel preaching. 
Oh, we got lots of time. Settle in. I'm not letting you out a minute early today. If I've got to wrestle with these things, so do you. Okay, that'll be helpful because now I won't be so distracted. I felt like I was like like exhausting my breath just trying to keep myself in the message. I'm like, I can't believe, I can't imagine what you guys are feeling. Like just like, blah, 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 blah. so I can just take a breath for a second. Everybody take a deep breath. Like, Okay, so what I've been thinking about this past week is I've been reading Philemon. And we picked this, we were, we we're going to tackle Philemon three months ago. Is I've been thinking about how, like, so many of us are satisfied to know the gospel and, and to know what is right and wrong. But to live it out is like a completely different, a completely different thing. That takes completely different effort and completely different awareness of the people around us. And says that even when... There is something that, like, that is required, required of those around me. Like, I'll put myself in the place of them. Okay, the second thing that I want to tackle really quick is freedom and forgiveness. So not only is, um, Kitsmans, are you okay? You're done here? Hey, just send in your last tithes check and, and we'll call it a day, okay? Big givers here. Uh, don't want to lose them. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh man how awkward would it be if they were like legit they're like no like that was that was it you hit the barrier there um I want to talk about freedom and forgiveness for a minute um again I think <laughs> I'm trying to establish a foundation again because I'm going somewhere with this message that hits our cultural moment but I want I want us to get there in a way that understands that like the Bible isn't meant to be used as a weapon, but it's also not like, like, I love when, when pastors will say like, like things like, uh, you know, the Bible is Jesus with a leather jacket on. And it's like, wow, that's so clever. Um, or things like the Bible is, is God's love letter to us. And I'm like, yes, it is. But it's not like, it's not only a love letter to the church. Like it's demonstrating his love, but it's not only a love letter to the church. But it's also not meant to be only a weapon. The Bible is a sword. We, we hear about, hear about the, the armor of God, and, and the word is described as a sword. And it's like, okay, yes, it is that, and it is a love letter, but, but, but it has to be both. And when we use it, it's really important. And so Paul is writing to Philemon, and one of the things he's also doing is he just, he just keeps demonstrating the power of Scripture in real life. Like, I think we read these things, and we hear this, like, this ancient, like, world that was that was lived in and we're like we don't know if it's real we don't know if it's fictional we don't know if it's story and so we hear this story about Onesimus was a slave and if he came back Philemon was going to kill him we're like oh look what a great fairy tale and yet what we have to see this is is not a fairy tale or not some story of like some pretend like like historical study that that theologians have done to like understand more about Philemon but this is a reality for somebody in the world at that time as real as Ukraine and Russia and the conflict that's going on there, as real as slavery was here in North America not too long ago and still dealing with the ramifications of that, like, like it was as real for them as these things are for us today. And so we're not talking about like, like Paul just like, oh, like what are, what are we learning from Paul here? And like, like, man, Paul's such a nice guy. No, like we're talking about life and death here. And another passage that Philemon is, or, or Paul is demonstrating to Philemon in this passage is this parable when Jesus talks about in Matthew, when he talks about the, the servant that was forgiven for the, the debt that he owed his master. Do we all remember this story? Where there's this amount that the servant, he, uh, he owes the master. And, and uh, basically, again, in this time, like, like he's worried for his life and the master brings him in and, and he thinks like, man, this, this guy can take my life. And he says, no, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive all of your debt, and you can go on from here. And it was a massive amount of money that this, that this servant owed his master. Well, this servant walks out of this place. And as he walks out of this place, he finds a servant that owes him like 10 bucks. And he goes, you know what? And he starts strangling the servant. He's like, give me my money that you owe me. And Jesus starts to ask questions about this parable that he's sharing. And he's like, like what will that master do to that servant? He says, surely he'll bring him back in and actually punish him for his original sin. He's talking about this idea that, like, if you, if you don't forgive, you, you won't be forgiven. And in real life, what we see happening before us is Paul is, is not just quoting the Bible at Philemon, but he's actually extending him a chance because he says, listen, I can tell you what you ought to do, 
But I want to appeal to your heart. In North America, especially with the cultural fray that we find ourselves in right now, people are, are content to try to win intellectual battles. And yet we're not, we're not fighting merely an intellectual battle in the world that we live in right now. It's a heart battle. It's, it's a motivations battle. It's a, it's a battle not just for people's minds, but it's actually for their desires. And if you don't get at somebody's desires and what they want and who they really want to serve, there's no changing what they're thinking about something. And so what Paul is, 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 um, is, uh, um, is, is, is going after is not Philemon's mind, but he's actually going after his heart. And he's, and he's saying, listen, like you have a right to go out and strangle your servant. But I want to remind you that Christ has forgiven you for much, much more than you could ever, ever ask for. And where this hits the ground in our culture today is for a lot of us, we want to rock, walk around and strangle people for the things they're struggling with or strangle them for the things that they've done or strangle them for the things that they've done to us. And we want, we want to have a foothold in their life to hold something over them. And the thing is, is we're often pulling out one sin issue in people's lives and we're saying like, hey, I'm going to hold this over you. And yet, meanwhile, what Paul's, what Paul's coming to is not just that Philemon is struggling with being a slave owner, but he's saying like, listen, Philemon, you are filled with sin even beyond these things. You, you were filled with sin when Jesus found you, and yet you were set free from that. And so what I'm asking you is to take this one issue that you have with Onesimus, and I'm asking you to forgive him. And he's setting a foundation for what it looks like for uh, Philemon and then for us as a church to interact with the world that we live in and the sin that they struggle with. Okay, is everybody with me so far? So what we have so far, just a recap, because the first point was uh, me dealing with this, this rave in front of me, uh, is that we, we have to love the world the way that Jesus loved us. It says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I think that we like that, like, he died for our sins. But sometimes we forget that, like, while, while we were yet sinners, like, my sin that I was struggling with when Jesus found me is different than the sin you were struggling with when Jesus found you. And it's different than the, the sin that you were struggling with when Jesus found you. And by the way, the sin of the Roman world was different than the sin that we're dealing with today. But yet Jesus, while we were yet sinners, he what? He died for us. Okay. So as he died for us, we have... We have the, the responsibility to love the world the way in which Jesus loved us. A new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. Secondly, freedom and forgiveness. It's not good enough to just forgive, but we also must let people free. We all get that as well. Okay, the other thing that we have here is that we have Paul giving a pastoral response to a broken world. One of the most interesting things about this passage, and I've got 10 minutes to wrap up a really um, difficult subject. Um, one of the interesting things that we have here within uh, uh, Philemon is that it's a different type of letter than Paul has written most of his letters in. What I mean by this is that Paul has written most of his letters throughout the New Testament to churches and their theological addresses of a certain topic or a certain thing or something that's being struggled with within that body of believers. And so Paul is writing to each of these ch churches based on uh, issues of theology. But what we actually see in the book of Philemon is that there's no, there's no disagreement amongst, amongst Christian academics that this isn't a theological letter as much as it is a pastoral letter. So what we're dealing with right here is not something that is addressed upon based on, on, on theology as much as he's working out theology in a very pastoral way. So in the book of Philemon, what we see is Paul is, is, is encouraging Philemon to approach this very difficult subject, not merely from a theological perspective, but from also a pastoral uh, perspective. Why do I say all this? Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just like, tired of the world that I live in. Is anybody else just like tired of it all? Like everything that comes out and you're like, oh my gosh, like what is right? What is wrong? Like did Trump, like did he like attack the, 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 the what did he attack? The, uh, you hear that leading question? I was like, what did he attack? I didn't actually mean that. Um, like, like did he do it or did he not? Or we look at these other things and and we came through the past two years, which was a pandemic, and we came through um, some big issues on, on some racial conversations. And, and I don't know about you, but every time something hits the news, I start to, like, 
my now my posture has become like I start to like close in on myself. I start going like I can't I can't take any more of this. Like as a pastor, I feel like sometimes like people are like wanting or a response from me like in the moment. I'm like I don't know. Like I'm trying to figure this out with everybody else. Like I don't know what's going on. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to respond to this issue in a way that like loves people but also communicates truth and and all the rest. Like I don't know what to do with this. In fact, I had signed off of uh, off of um, social media for a period of time, and um, I didn't even realize that this like Roe versus Wade thing was happening. And all of a sudden, it gets overturned this past week, and I'm seeing posts like I did out of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is like, if you're not speaking up right now, uh, then you better follow somebody else. And this is what I would say about this before I jump into like how we how we figure out these nuanced things as Christians, is if somebody is using guilt and shame to get you to speak about something. That is the definition of manipulation. So you shouldn't feel, based on the complex nature of these these conversations, that you need to post or say something in the moment something comes out simply based on the feeling you have that if you don't, you're doing something wrong. These are more complex issues than one sentence will give us in a Twitter feed. These are more complex issues than what we can have over a few different stories on an Instagram feed. These are more complex issues than what can be figured out even around a water cooler. And it's not disingenuous to our faith faith, to pull out of that for a second and go, you know what? I haven't really thought about that. I need some more time to think about this. Because here's the thing. Roe versus Wade being turned turned, uh, over is a win for some people in the room. Then... In our own church, I'm seeing for some people, we're going like, man, this is a loss for women's rights. And I'm going, well, how do we, how do we handle this in a pastoral context? Because here's the thing. God has called us to unity, not to division. One of our, one of our values as a church is a house divided cannot stand. And so how do you pastor a church in truth? Well, I think that, and again, I'm like, God, why? Like when I opened up Philemon this past week, I was like, please no. Like, please no. Because this is what Paul is doing with Philemon. Is Paul knows the truth, but he's communicating it in a way that pastors Philemon through this moment he finds himself in. So let's take it this way. Jesus did these two things simultaneously. On the Sermon of the Mount, he talks about lust and adultery, doesn't he? And he says, hey, listen, uh, in, um, this is in Matthew chapter 5, I believe, or 6. He says, um, you have heard that it was said that anybody that sleeps with another man's wife has committed what? Adultery. But I'm telling you that anyone that looks at someone lustfully has already committed adultery with them in his heart, in their heart. Okay, so what we expected of Jesus so often with the sin we're dealing with in our culture is that Jesus is going to like release the burden because he's a burden releaser. But what I see is that he actually cranks up the expectation. You think that that's what lust is? This is what lust is. So this is, the, this is the Jesus that says, no, 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 it's not just about sleeping with somebody. It's about actually looking at them lustfully. That's adultery. The same Jesus that says that is the Jesus that sits there while the religious leaders bring a woman caught in the act of adultery in front of him and says, and, and they say, hey, should we stone her? Which is what the Old Testament would have told them to do. And he sits there and he says, he is without sin can cast the first stone. It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they all walked away because the oldest understands their sin more than the young person that's still filled with pride and thinks that they have everything right. And so rather than them casting the stone, they all walk away. Everyone walking away is an act of love by Jesus in this moment. Why? Because Jesus is sitting there and we have, we have um, a, a recording of Jesus just drawing in the sand, which I don't care what he was drawing. Theologians will like spend like, like years of their life trying to figure out what he was drawing in the sand. And I'm like, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that he's sitting there and he has just said he who is without sin can cast the first stone. And what we have is an example of a savior that is without sin who doesn't cast the stone. So, so how do we approach this, guys? Like as a church, how do we approach this? Because on one hand, it's like, Jesus, yell at the world, tell them that adultery is wrong. And he's going, I already did that. I taught on that. But now I'm dealing with somebody that's actually caught in the act and there's far more involved than just telling them what to do right now. I need to love them into having a right to tell them what sin is. Because at the very end of all this love, he says, go and sin no more. Sin is an issue that Jesus cares deeply about. And it's something that I think the church in the West needs to care more about. Because for some reason, our definition of sin seems to be coming from the world itself. 
which is too bad because in my Bible, where I read some of the most peaceful words of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, he's not lowering the bar for the world. He's actually ratcheting it up. So when it comes to murder, just so that we're aware in the conversation that's happening this past week, he doesn't, he doesn't lower the bar of murder. He says, hey, if you kill one another in wrath, that's murder. No, he ratchets it up and he says, if you call your brother an idiot, you've committed murder. I'm not going to tell you how to think about this issue in this past week just yet. <laughs> but let's not lower the bar that we set for ourselves and what classifies as murder. This is a difficult topic that we're dealing with this past week. Abortion is a difficult topic. But what I would say, in your wrestling with it, the thing that we need to wrestle with is Jesus did not ever lower the bar on Christian morality. He only ever ratcheted it up, but he lived it out very differently than what the world and even the church expected him to live it out. And so what we see is Paul, who knows it. I mean, slavery is wrong. But he says to him, he says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of what? On the basis of love. And then he walks them through this entire situation. Here's what, here's what we, we got to figure out as, as people. And I can't tell you how to figure this out because we have to pray to God to figure it out within us. Is we need to be people that can both stand on the words of Jesus that says, adultery is wrong. And, it's, and it's, it's actually worse than you think it is. And then sit with a woman that is caught in the act of adultery and hold space for her as she experiences the love of Jesus live in her life. And, and, and I guess for myself, this whole past week, the question I've been asking myself as a pastor is, is how can I be a pastor that sits between a real definition of sin and a loving response to a world that does not yet get it? And I would encourage us as a church to be the church that can sit in the middle of this tension. where We can call out sin. Sin is, is important to call out. But we can also sit in the moment with people where they're going through really difficult things and say, you know what? But there's grace for you. There's love for you. There's, there, there's a Savior who died for you. I'll show you his love in the way that I approach you. That while you are yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That while you are yet struggling, Christ died for you. While you were yet in the act of it, Christ showed his grace to you. Will we still call sin, sin? Yes. But will we still be pastoral in our response? We have to be. So the thing that I'm aware of in our church is that even if I'm to get up here and I'm, I'm to say something like, abortion is sin. First of all, I saw a really wise post that says this isn't just a sin issue. What we're talking about with Roe versus Wade is also political it's like, it's economical. It's like all these layers thick. Like it, it is just, the, the, the layers of abortion in, in North America are just, it's, it's just thick. The layers go deep and deep and deep. And every time you want to make it simple, it's deeper. So while I, the way that I define um, murder and, and the way that I would def, d define abortion might, might be a sin, there, there, are, there are, are, are layers to the way that we have to deal with this. And here's the thing that we have to understand is that even in this room, there are, there are, there are men that have, have forced partners to go get an abortion in the past. There are women right now, like, like as I'm speaking about this, this is such a sensitive topic that, that you've actually had an abortion yourself. And, and in these topics, while somebody might want me to yell and say, just say it, pastor, just say how wrong it is. I'm going, yeah, but there's people that are literally right now dealing with this thing live. Like for me, that, that I've never had an abortion, we've never talked about it, all the rest, this is an easier topic. I'm, I'm so far from it. But there's people in the room right now that are sitting at the feet of Jesus and go, what do I do with what's happening in the world? And what we have to do is create space for people to work this out. And if we don't do that, we're not pastoring people well. And you might point at something else that Paul said and say, yeah, but he said it directly. And it's like, yes, he did say it directly. But in his pastoral epistle, in the way that Jesus works out his own statements on things, is that he sits with people, he cries with people, he weeps with them, he walks with them, and he leads them into a greater future. What I would say to those of us that have experienced the issue of this past week firsthand is I would say there is a lot of grace in Jesus Christ for you. And there's a lot of love, and there's a lot of people that have gone through a lot of this stuff and worked it out and are following Jesus faithfully, and this is a space where you can work it out. 
What I'd say to those of us that just want to yell it from the rooftop that people are wrong for doing that. Yes, it's wrong. I believe it's wrong. But the one thing that we have to do is we have to be willing to hold space for people. And we got to stop. And this is something that I've been, I was wrestling actually with Tanner and I, um, and actually if Tanner doesn't want to be implicated in this message at all, that makes sense. But we were going to a motorcycle course this past week and in an unrelated topic, one of the things that I said to him was, sometimes I just wish that people would judge our church or my preaching based on the way that Jesus preached himself. I wish the pastor would talk about hell more. It's like, well, Jesus talked about hell like maybe four or five times in his teaching. Like it was a real thing for him, but like every time he got up there, he wasn't talking about hell. I wish that, wish, wish that this would happen. Yeah, 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 but even, the, I wish that we would just call this out or get rid of this person. That, and it's like, well, Jesus had a different way to handle this. Okay, why don't we stand up in this place as we close? How are we all feeling? We're all feeling okay? I don't, I don't know how to feel. Like literally over these last three weeks, I said to Emma when, when we were getting ready to come, I'm like, I just don't wanna like preach anymore. I don't wanna have to be responsible to address anything anymore. I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna speak to difficult things. I don't wanna open up scripture in a way that's gonna hurt people. But at the same time, the thing that's been kind of yelling out to me is, is if we don't, if we don't deal with certain things, um, we're gonna find this information somewhere. And I'm not responsible for pastoring the world. I'm I'm responsible for pastoring this church. I want us to know that this is a church where people are loved regardless of their sin, and we will still preach the gospel, which is Jesus' love for sinners, and we'll still preach sin as the Bible addresses sin. But we can't do it in this way that gets angry. We can't do it in this way that washes over difficult things. And so as we're sitting here, I just I just want to pray. We've got three minutes. It's a way that I would love to, to finish this, um, this service is by everybody just bowing their heads, closing their eyes, and just beginning to pray where you find yourself. And I just want to pray for a few different things, and I'm going to pray for them in consecutive order, and then we're going to go out of this place. The first thing I just want to pray for is for those of us that just feel exhausted by the society that we live in. Just going, I don't even know how to be a Christian in this society, or I don't know what to say. I feel all this pressure. If that's you, could you just raise a hand? Yeah, all across this room, we're all raising our, well, not everybody, but almost everybody's raising a hand going, this is too complex for me. Can we just begin to pray about that? Jesus, I, I pray for everybody that's raising a hand right now, like myself, God, I... I've never sweat more while I speak than I am today. And it's just because, God, I feel the weight of a world that, 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 that is different than what I read it within Scripture. And I, and I have a hard time sometimes, God, re- reconciling the difficult nature of the world that we live in with the w- world of the gospel. And, God, I know you've called me to a certain worldview, but I don't know how to live with that worldview all the time in the world that we live in. So, God, right now with every hand raised and we're just wondering, how do I live with this? How do I speak graciously about it? How do I still maintain sin and, and, and be faithful to the gospel? God, I pray that, God, you would give us a, a deep resolve that, that, that sin is sin. But give us a deep resolve for the hurting uh, world that we live in and the pain that people are going through. And, God, may we be gracious to it. God, may we extend the same grace that you've extended to us. Jesus, help us in our confusion. And, and for some of us, we're just worried about losing jobs. We're worried about, we're worried about uh, saying the wrong thing and, and somebody kicking us out of something that we love and, and all the rest. And God, I'm just praying, God, that by your Holy Spirit, that you would remind us that as you guided the early church through the nuances of the world that they lived in, that you will continue to guide us through the nuances of the world that we live in. God, give us the peace that you are with us and your presence will go with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, hey, with every head bowed and I closed again, um, the question I'm asking right now is not, have you had an abortion? That, that, is, that is too big of a question to ask in a room full of strangers. But maybe this just issue hits close to home, um, or maybe it's something that you yourself are struggling with. And I just wanna, I wanna pray for that because I think our first response is not to formulate an intellectual response to things, but to allow God to just 
walk with us through that. So if this is something that just hits home, that's a general hit home. That's you and you just would love prayer. Can you just raise a hand and you raise it and put it back down with every head bowed and eye closed? Yeah, hands raised in this room. Can we pray for, for those that have, that have raised their hands? God, I this is not an easy issue. And, and this whole past week, I, I can't help but think that there's a lot of homes that you would just wish to sit and draw on the ground in. <laughs> just walk with us and show us your love and walk us through, navigate us through some difficult things that are, we're going through. God, for those of us in the room that are struggling with some of this past week, and maybe it's just not even knowing what to believe on this stuff. God, I pray that you would meet us where we find ourselves. God, the, this example of you sitting with this woman caught in the act of adultery is, is one of the greatest acts, visual acts and reminders to me of your love in action. And God, the, the same emotion that I get while I read from it, which is just like your arms just squeezing us so tightly out of your love. God, I pray for those of us that are wrestling with this right now in the room that God, you would come alongside us and show us where you're, where you're taking it. Show us your truth, show us your, your, your love, show us your grace and show us how to, how to deal with maybe it's our past or somebody else's past or whatever it might be. God, show us that, that we're not, not too broken to be thrown away. Throw us, throw us, uh, show us, God, that, that you're willing to walk with us through whatever the future looks like. And God, I pray that your loving arms would surround us in this room right now, we pray. In Jesus' name. And I just want to pray for one more group of people because this is a, a group of prayer, but or, uh, this is a place of prayer. But if you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, the thing that you need to know about that is Jesus paid a price on that cross for each and every one of us bring us back in relationship with the Father. We talked about it a lot today. But if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus and you'd like to today, again, with every head bowed and eye closed, and you're going, you know what? I want to make a decision to follow him. If that's you, could you just raise a hand? Just so I know, know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to point anybody out, but I would love to know who I'm praying for here this morning. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I pray for those that are making a decision to follow you. God, I pray that they would understand that this world's still going to be the world, and we're going to be faced with some challenging thoughts and some challenging ideas. But God, I pray that, God, as they raise their hand right now that, or, or make that decision in their heart, that God, you would show them that you're going to walk with them through the, the nuances of this life, through the, the, the craziness of the world that we live in. And God, I pray that uh, they would know that you are leading them, that your spirit uh, uh, will, will fill them and, and help them navigate. And that ultimately, God, they can look forward to a life spent with you here on earth, but also into everlasting life. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, guys, I took the full time. Um, these, are, these are difficult conversations we've been having. Um, I encourage you to come back next week where uh, Emma's going to preach a really encouraging word. And uh, we're not going to talk about any, anything controversial ever again. So... Uh, We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Make sure you get out of here quickly so we can welcome the next group in. Love you guys. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.